The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. This week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about how to behave at zoos. We have dog and cat mayors in America, but what about a dog for president? Saturday is National Puppy Day. Learn the ins and outs of buying a new pooch. March is Poison Prevention Awareness Month. We are here talking about the dangers of household cleaners to pets. Good morning. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio where we want to help you take better care of your pets. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. So let's kick off the show with some celebrity pet news. Well, Beto O'Rourke, you know who he is. He's running for president. Actually, Beto's Front page treatment on the cover of March Vanity Fair magazine pushed the former Texas congressman further into the spotlight. If you haven't seen the magazine, the cover shot was photographed by Annie Leibovitz, very famous photographer. O'Rourke is looking into the camera while standing next to his car on a dusty dirt road wearing jeans and a button-down shirt. His hands are in his back pocket. Are you, can, you, can you picture it, Dr. Fleck? I can. Right. But what I found so fascinating about the picture is standing behind him is his unassuming dog, Artemis. A lot of people have commented about that. Yeah. So if you didn't know, Beto has three pets. He's got Artemis, another dog named Rosie, and a cat named Silver. But, you know, what I found really interesting is that after the mag drop, the Twitter verse took to writing about Artemis. I think the best Twitter comment, one you probably won't appreciate, is... The person wrote, I'm writing Artemis in in 2020. <laughs> so I thought Artemis must have struck some regal pose, but I thought that was kind of funny. Also, after the magazine dropped, New York Magazine features Artemis in the online cut. If you remember a few weeks ago, Dr. Fleck, I was quoted in this cut discussing what you do when someone compliments your dog. But unlike Artemis, and I've got to admit, I'm a bit jealous, I didn't get a feature. <laughs> So anyway, any thinking about Artemis, I think that there's going to be a lot more jibber jab about her in the coming days and months and years. But let's move forward with the uh, global news block. And now Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Okay, so I don't know if you heard this, but recently NASA released colorful, dreamy illustrations depicting an imagined future in which humans have made it look great living in other worlds. In one picture, there's an astronaut standing on the dunes of Mars with her dog by her side. She's got her hands in her pockets, mm-hmm. nice posture, tackling space on a day-to-day basis. I think she probably has got bickies in her pocket. That's why the dog's kind of like looking up. He's like, what am I going to get treated with? Some Mars biscuits. Well, I don't know what NASA's plans are for missions to the moon. I don't know. Maybe a Tesla can tell us since he's and and who else is Lockheed or Boeing. They're trying to get to the moon too. I don't know if NASA has any plans for dogs to go to Mars. Maybe they should. Probably be a good idea. I mean, I'm going to pose this question to you. Maybe we'll have an arc. How can us humans 
go on adventures without our dogs. I don't think I'd want to go to Mars without my dogs. Not for a long period of time, and it would be a long period of time. It would be for long, and it'd be real hot. <laughs> so hot, hot and cold. Hot and cold. Well, what do you got for me? Well, my next story is about furs. Okay. So, thanks to a trio of guide dogs, a man became the first blind runner to finish the New York City half marathon last Sunday. That's so cool. That is pretty cool. Thomas Panic, president and CEO of the nonprofit Guiding Eyes of the Blind, ran the about 13-mile event Sunday across the finish line in two hours, 20 minutes, and 51 seconds. So according to the organization's website, Panic used three guide dogs. Wesley, a black lab, covered for the first five miles. His sister, Waffle, a yellow lab, was on fire on the FDR drive. She took off like there was no tomorrow. And for the last three miles, Gus guided Panic across the finish line. The race began in Prospect Park in Brooklyn and ended in Central Park in Manhattan. Prior to being blind, Panic enjoyed running and recently put together a program for blind runners. In the past, Panic only used human guides to run races, including the 2014 Boston Marathon. You got something else? Well... Here's something to think about, especially if you're a senior like me. For years, we've heard that dogs can be good for human physical and mental health, in part because of their need for exercise. But now, some universities of Pennsylvania researchers point out that these walks can end in broken bones, as well as trips to the emergency room. I guess seniors don't have much to look forward to. Yeah, well... I think they still have to look forward to it. The research team estimates that nationally, the number of dog walking fractures in people over 65 more than doubled between 2004 and 2017 from 1,671 to 4,396. That's a lot. These results were published recently in Research Data Letter in JAMA Surgery. Well, that's great. So, I mean, I think it's good that we're getting the word out because a lot of seniors have dogs and they like to, especially especially in the evening or the early morning, like to walk their dogs. So they have to be a lot more careful if there's going to be uh, some some fractures. And there may, should be some lessons maybe in walking your dog, whether the dog is a big dog and pulls you or a small dog and just gets under your feet. It might be a good idea just to go and work with a trainer and get that worn out. But actually, it's interesting because that study showed that more women, because they have softer bones than men, are breaking them easily. Yes. Okay, well, that's a lot of interesting stuff. We're going to take a commercial break and come back talking about how to behave at zoos. I don't know if you heard about the woman who got a jaguar paw swipe at the Arizona Zoo. Of course I did. Well, stay tuned. Our next guest is going to talk about that and more. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. 
For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, we enjoy being with you each week talking pets. You know, more than a week ago, a woman was attacked seriously and seriously injured by a jaguar as she allegedly jumped a barrier for a selfie next to the animal's cage at Wildlife World Zoo Aquarium in Safari Park in Arizona. Although she apologized to the zoo in this interview that I saw on ArizonaFamily.com, she said that she didn't really climb over the barrier, but she kind of leaned over the guardrail. Anyway, it's important to note that like her, a lot of these incidents have occurred with various guests to zoos disobeying the institution rules about barriers and guardrails resulting in loss of life or actually injury to both people and pets. Well, Joining us today to talk about this incident and how to behave at zoos is wildlife expert and photographer Ron McGill. Ron is the communications director of the Miami-Dade Zoological Park and Gardens. Ron, good morning and welcome back to the Pet Buzz this morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much. We are glad to have you back. So, can you comment on that Arizona Zoo incident? You know, this is one of several incidences, and unfortunately an incident like this occurs, it gets a tremendous amount of publicity, but, but here's the bottom line, and, and I don't want to simplify anything here, but unfortunately what's happening now is common sense is just not very common anymore. And so <laughs> when I hear of these incidences, now I'm serious, it is so frustrating to me, because first of all, I, I know the, the, the young lady has since said, well, I just kind of leaned over. If you look at that exhibit, if you look at the uh, caging material that is used to contain that jaguar, and you look where she got clawed on her arm, she didn't just lean over. She had to lean against that barrier because, first of all, a jaguar cannot get his paw through the, uh, the entire enclosure. It's a small mesh enclosure. It's big enough where it can get its claws through, but not the whole paw or arm. So this lady who got very badly clawed on, I think it was her left forearm, a left uh, bicep area, she basically went in there and turned her back and leaned up against that fencing. I mean, that's the only conclusion I can make by looking at it. I see no other physical way that this jaguar got her. And what's happening today in society is people getting so caught up in this social media, this whole selfie generation, it is actually unbelievably ridiculous. I mean, what people will do, listen, I, I live down here in, in Florida. I cannot tell you how many times I go down to the Everglades. I go down to Shark Valley here, and we always have, you know, countless alligators that come out on the banks of the, of the trail there to, uh, to sun themselves. And I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've gone down there and seen tourists 
you know, from Asia or across the pond someplace with their back to the alligator, getting close to it and taking a selfie, smiling with the alligator behind them. Who in their right mind <laughs> turns their back to an alligator, to any wild animal for that matter? So, so my, my, my point here is that, listen, folks, we have got to draw a line as to what is just common sense. You know, we, we have signs throughout the park. Uh, and we've learned the hard way that people don't read signs. It can, you can say, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this, and people still do it. Because people, uh, I, I don't, I, you, if you can sense my frustration, it's because I what can completely this, sense your frustration. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here laughing because you know how organized I am and I have all my questions in one order. I might as well just let you talk because realistically it's part of that whole, I, I want you to get it out, Ron, because it's, 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 it's just the truth. Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte, I'm beside myself because I, what happens is when an Incident like this happens. The first person that gets blamed. The first thing that gets blamed is the animal. You start hearing people say, "Well, that animal now has a taste of human blood. You have to euthanize it." What? Are you out of your mind? Well, you know, <laughs> it's funny that you say that because in every single, I read so many counts of that that news story with the jaguar, and like it read, it flowed. The story flowed, and then all of a sudden, and by the way, the jaguar is not going to be killed. I mean, absolutely not. Thank God. Yes, yeah, absolutely exactly. Not. But the thing is, it was like. If you were thinking it should be as they showed her lying on the ground, because, of course, somebody with a camera took her lying on the ground so they could see what pain she was in. And the thing is, her arm wasn't just scratched. It was literally ripped through the skin. Yes, absolutely. No, this is a jaguar. This is not Morris the cat. Okay, (laughs) this is a jaguar. People need to understand that. You know, there's another misconception people have. They see animals, and they'll see them sometimes in captivity, especially in a place like a zoo, and they think that these animals are our pets. They think we go in there and play with these animals. I don't know how many times I've got to say, you can take an animal out of the wild. You can never take the wild out of the animal. And then what happens is, if it's not blamed on the animal itself, then it's blamed on the zoo. The zoo's not doing a good enough job to protect the public from these animals. Folks! Listen, do we put fences all up and down our turnpikes and our expressways and our freeways so that people can cross? No. You know why? Because people know that if you try to cross in the middle of an expressway, you're likely to get hit by a car. So you don't do it. People need to understand that these animals are dangerous. Just like a moving car down the road is dangerous. Respect it. Keep your distance. Be smart. And these things won't happen. Ron seems to be such low energy today. It really is. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, over the past few years, we've interviewed uh, people from the Association of Zoos. And, you know, we talked about the barriers and really the barriers are put in place for a variety of reasons. Number one, and I'm sure you'll agree, the first one is safety. Then they're also designed so that you can enjoy the zoo experience, correct? And that you also can take pictures if it's allowed, correct, Ron? Right. Absolutely. So the zoo is actually absolutely. trying to build the barriers so they're, they're, they're pleasing, but they're also, as well as pleasing, they serve a purpose more than just safety. So they mesh with the whole area of the zoo. And I think it's really, really difficult for people just to comprehend that because they're so caught up in their own. I mean, what you you'd probably comment. Wasn't there a guy in China who actually ended up in a tiger pit because he didn't want to pay? The admission to the zoo? Did I hear that somewhere? 
There's several things. Like there's a guy who went into the lion pit. He got killed, actually, in, in South America. Um, you know, there are people who then have this, this fantasy in their mind. Oh, no, I have a connection with the animals. The animals <laughs> love me. And I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to show you how I bond with them and how they know that I'm the spirit person, you know. And people just sometimes don't get it. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's somewhat easy sometimes to get caught up into that trap. You look at an animal, you see it relax, and you don't realize that in a split second that can change. I think that's a, a big challenge that zoos face. You know, how do we create these barriers where we're not also creating a barrier to the connection that we're trying to create between animals and people? You know, there's an old saying that says, in the end, we protect what we love, we love what we understand, and we understand what we're taught. We don't want to have to put up massive bars and huge concrete walls and all these other types of barriers. There are types of barriers that can effectively keep an animal in. But if we have to start worrying about keeping people from going in to the point that it makes it impossible, it makes it a, a moot point. You're not creating that connection we need. You know, I hate to say this, and I don't mean to sound, uh, you know, denigrating or, or condescending in any way, but someone once said, you just cannot fix stupid. <laughs> you better get a question I'm, in there, Dr. Fleck, because Ron might I, go on again. I, I, I got I to ask another question before you're at it again here. Remember the last time we talked to you, we, we talked about uh, the incident with the silverback gorilla? Um, yes. Yeah. All right. All right. So, you know, parents and, and chaperones, they need to be concerned when kids go uh, in where the gorilla pits are or any place where the wild animals. What should parents and chaperones tell kids prior well, you know, to visiting the zoo? I, I think, yeah, I think it's very important that that children are made aware that these are wild animals, that they're dangerous animals, not that they're mean animals. I, I don't like it when people use the word mean for wild animals. Wild animals are not mean. They have natural instincts to protect the territory, to protect their mates, to protect their families. So they can be dangerous if they feel that is threatened. But you know, wild animals do not look at people and go, I don't like you, so I'm just going to kill you. That's not, that's not an attitude that animals have, per se. Um, so I, I wouldn't try to make it very clear to children that these are not like your pet dog or your pet cat or domesticated animal. These are wild animals, and they're very, very dangerous. Now, having said that, you know, this incident with the jaguar really, to me, is much different than the incident with Harambe the gorilla. In the sense that the gorilla incident, you know, all of us in zoos, reevaluated our exhibits after that. We realized that, you know what? It only takes a split second for a kid to break away from his or her parents. So we have to make barriers that don't allow a child to get through it in a split second. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of zoos, our zoo included, address that. We upgraded some of the barriers without making it offensive, making it realize that, listen, we have to make it difficult for a child to get through the barrier. Okay, uh, and that that is important because ch children don't know, and it's unrealistic to think that a parent is going to hold its child's hand 24/7 all the time. It just doesn't happen. I'm a parent, and I know that. You try to watch your children all the time, but in a split second they can run. So you never know. It's like like a kid can run in the street and get hit by a car. Um, so you have to be very careful with that. But having said that, this is different because this is an adult human being who should have known better. Who who knowingly went across a barrier and exposed herself to an animal that she should have known is extremely dangerous. And in doing so, uh, created a, a bad situation, not just for herself, but for the zoo, for the jaguar, for everybody involved. And this is the type of thing where, listen, folks, we just got to be smarter. I, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, it, it. You know, 
it's so beyond frustrating for me because good institutions get bad reputations when they get a black eye from an incident like this that really has nothing else to do with anything else except sheer ignorance. Well, on that note, Ron, I want to thank you so much for coming to visit with us today and really expressing so much passion because it really is a passionate issue. I mean, zoos are such great places where people have the opportunity, adults and children have the opportunity to explore, to learn and really just relax and see great animals. And there's so many people who are dedicated to working there like you and preserving the integrity of zoos and really creating this whole educational experience for people. So we don't want to endanger the zoos. But it's also important to point out there's a difference also between zoos and roadside attractions. We have to be very careful there, too. You have to understand that a good accredited facility is doing a good job of maintaining animals and educating people and making a connection to conservation in the wild, as opposed to people who have these little roadside attractions that charge you $100 to hold the tiger cub to take a picture. We've got to be very careful and be able to delineate between the two. Great point. So before you leave, can you give us your website so we can learn more about Miami-Dade Zoo? www.zoomiami.org. Great. Well, that was Ron McGill, the communications director of Zoo Miami, discussing safety matters at zoos for animals, guests and staff. Up next, we're talking about a new four-legged candidate running for president of the United States. Stay tuned. Know what? What? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look! She's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. <laughs> oh, look, they're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, if you don't know, dogs and cats have and are serving as mayors in many cities across America, including the states of Alaska and Minnesota. But what about a dog for president? Have you ever thought about that? Hmm. Well, joining us today to talk about a canine presidential run is public relations professional, Susan Hartzler and her Australian Shepherd, Seven, who is throwing his collar into the ring. Susan and Seven, thank you for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. Thank you for having us. Well, you know... excited to be here. Oh, great, great, great. Only one person can win the presidency. Furthermore, running for president is pretty expensive and exhausting. But this year, some 17 people, to this point seem to be interested and think it's a good idea to run for president. So, Susan, why has Seven run for the presidency? Well, Seven's a therapy dog, and I figure with all with all the 17 and more people running, 
We could all use a little therapy love today. <laughs> Plus, a dog with a face like his can bring the country together while getting forever homes for homeless pets. He's really a nice-looking dog. He really is. Well, you, you need to be attractive if you're going to run. So well, there's a few people who are not. There's a few people who are not attractive who are running or old or kind of well, short or charis- fat. Charismatically attractive. Okay. Well, anyway, okay. I'm just curious because everyone wants to know. Liberal, conservative. So Seven is running as a candidate for the puppy party. Is that a liberal or conservative party? <laughs> well, we want to stay sort of in the middle because we want to we want to offer therapy for all parties. But he does tend to to lean liberal. I would think so. If he, considering on his Instagram page, he had a poster of himself holding a sign that said "Dump Trump." So I, I would think he's a little. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you had a question, Doctor Fleck. I did. You know, when President Obama ran for presidency, he had a slogan: "Change we can believe in." Trump has "Make America Great Again." What slogan does Seven have? Well, Seven's a herding dog, so he's going to bring America together again. Oh, that's okay. good. Okay. Bring America. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking about Susan Hartzler about running her dog Seven for president. Now, Susan, is there some debate about his eligibility? Is your candidate old enough to run for president? So is he running now or has he been accepted? Did you file the paperwork? We did file the paperwork. He's turning five this July 5th. Okay, because he's really four right now, right? He's four. Yes, he's four right now. So he's not going to be five till July 5th. So by the time that he becomes president, he will be 35 years old, required age. Okay, because, you know, everyone has all these newfangled years today. Sometimes they say the first uh, first year of a dog's life is really 15 years now. Have you heard that, Dr. Flack? Yep. Then seven. And they say for a period of a few years, the dog is three. So I was kind of curious if seven really meets the eligibility. I think maybe he does. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, good. So now we have now we have a doctor who's saying that he's okay. He's okay. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I I, I give my blessing. Yes. He's also a natural born citizen of the United States. So that's another plus for him. He has to be that. That's good. So. Mm -hmm. The only thing we're missing is he has to raise $5,000. So that's why we're selling T-shirts to raise his funds. And a portion of the money is going to homeless pets to get them homes. I think that's great. I mean, the, the uh, actually, the shirts and the hats are really cute. What about a GoFundMe fund? Well, he doesn't need that. He's going to sell these great T-shirts and hats. Everyone likes that. Well, they get a that. T-shirt if they go to the GoFundMe fund. I guess you can do a GoFundMe, but I think the T-shirts and hats are a better way to go because then people are actually swearing the message, seven for president. Well, Susan, in this chaotic day with the days with the media, and they seem to be obsessed with how a presidential run is announced. What's seven's announcement? Well, he made his announcement at the end of February at a great event. It's a new event called Rescue Con. It's a convention like no other, uh, and it takes place in Oxnard, which is Seven's hometown. So um, RescueCon was designed to promote the welfare of animals, and they included wildlife and farm animals, too, and create a culturally enriching environment. And there was interactive opportunities for learning about the connection with your pets. So besides Seven's press conference, people who attended could also do bunny yoga. There was a cat cafe. There were speaker panels. 
And the goal of the event was really to rally animal lovers in the region and strengthen the local rescue landscape. So that seemed like the perfect place for Sam to throw his collar in the ring. I think that's kind of cool. So I'm curious, what's his relevant experience? (laughs) Well, Shevin was a former competitive show dog. And since I adopted him from the show ring, he's become a professional actor and model. And he's done um, several commercials and, and several print ads. And he's also a therapy dog. We work through Therapy Dogs International. And he is the official therapy dog for Ventura County High Schools. So we go once a month to high schools and we go to other places to hospitals and stuff. So his real relevant experience is he's got the acting part down. So he's fine in front of big crowds and he's offering his service as a therapy dog to both Democrats and Republicans um, in his bid to bring America together again. Well, I think that's great. You know what it kind of reminds me of? He's got the wherewithal for that dog show competition because dog shows can be really tough. He's got the actor like Ronald Reagan, you know, when he's doing that therapy work. So it shows that he's kind. So it's not, you know, so he does have some relevant experience. So what do you think he's going to bring to the election pool of all the candidates? Well, Seven is different from the other candidates, mainly because of his therapy dog experience. So he also does amazing tricks. So he can perform those tricks, too, and keep the audience entertained with tricks. I guess that must be part of the feel-good experience. So here's, here's one real political question. So really, how does Seven feel about the wall? I mean, you're in California. <laughs> So what's up with the wall? Well, Seven is going to build a wall, but he's building a wall to keep the fleas out. Okay. And he's going to have the fleas pay for it. Because he's friends with everyone. Obviously, except the fleas. And that's relevant here in the state of Florida. What a great slogan. Who likes those nasty fleas? (laughs) Especially in Florida. California, too. Oh, true, true. So if he's elected, what do you hope your dog's going to do to achieve as president? Well, all of us who live with a dog or dogs, we all know that canines have an incredible capacity for unconditional love. So he's going to bring that unconditional love to America. He's going to bring, he's, he's loyal. Uh, dogs live their life in the moment. He has dignity, honor, and respect. Plus his moral compass is second to none. So if Seven's elected to president, he will work hard to bring all those important qualities back to the White House. His number one goal, though, is no more dog fights in Washington, (laughs) D.C. No more dog fights anywhere would be a great goal, I think. That would be a great goal. He's also going to make it so that every from now on, every presidential candidate must own a dog. He's going to institute a law for more playtime and allow dog parents paid time off when they bring a new dog home to love. No more dog houses. Dogs will live inside with their humans. He'll also make it a rule that every American dog has a warm place to sleep, preferably in bed next to their human. We like yeah. that so much, but we have to wrap it up now. So we like okay. this idea of seven for president. You had a question, Dr. Fleck? Actually, we just, we're just we just excited that you both came on. We look forward to the campaign. Can you give us your website? Yes, go to www.loveluvmy.dog, and it's not .com, it's .com, and purchase T-shirts, hats, buttons, and other items. A percentage of proceeds goes to Life Animal Rescue. They're a cool nonprofit uh, dedicated to turning tragedy into triumph. 
by saving dogs all around the world. Their slogan is one dog, one life changed forever. Great. Something we can all get behind. Got, Thank got you my so vote. much, Susan. That was Susan Hartzler, owner, pet parent, and spokes dog for her dog, Seven, who is running for president as a puppy party candidate. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a buzzworthy moment. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up, like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Here at the Pet Buzz, we are urban, suburban, and country. Well, today is National Puppy Day. While you may be celebrating with your new puppy or deciding what kind of puppy would be best for your family, we want to give you a few tips for buying a new pooch. Because generally, problems relating to pet purchases are usually considered contract disputes. It's also important to note that companion animals, for those of you who don't know, are considered goods under your state's version of the Uniform Commercial Code, the law that governs sales by a merchant and gives dissatisfied buyers certain rights. So when it comes to pets, merchants include breeders, pet stores, and anyone who routinely sells companion animals. So when you buy a pet from a merchant, the sale, it's important to know that the sale comes with an implied warranty of merchantability. And that means that you're getting a healthy puppy. Does that make sense, Dr. Fly? Makes total sense. Okay. So furthermore, if the seller has advertised or recommended that the animal can be used for a specific purpose. So for example, you may, maybe you want a guard dog or a hunting dog. There's also an implied warranty that it can perform under those stipulations. So you may also have an express warranty if the merchant explicitly promised you something about the animal that you were buying. So for example, if that that breeder told you that your dog was a Westie or was trained to compete for a certain, you know, specific mm-hmm. field trials or mm-hmm. obedience. So if you believe that pet dealer or breeder has violated either the implied or the express warranty, you may sue to get a refund or replacement for the animal. Small claims court is one way to go as long as you're seeking more money than your state's dollar limit for small claims. So this is just the beginning. And you see how it's starting to get complicated already? It really is. You have to understand that your dog If you buy a dog, you have a contract. The contract is covered by the Uniform Commercial Code and that there can be express and implied warranties. And and, uh, and about 22 states have recognized the special status of companion animals. 
by passing laws or lemon laws. That's important. Lemon laws. That give extra protection to people who've bought unhealthy dogs. And you've worked with a lot of dogs that have been unhealthy. I people do. bought them from I the do, pet store. I do, and I feel so badly for the people. Under these laws, a buyer must promptly give the seller written notice of the problem, along with a certification from a licensed veterinarian that the animal has an illness or disease that existed before the purchase. So you can't go back to the person you bought the dog from unless they get a note from the doctor, someone like you, right? That says what's wrong with the dog. Okay. So the owner may then return the pet for a refund or another similar animal. Many states offer a third option though, keep the pet and get reimbursed for some of the costs of the veterinary treatment to deal with that pre-existing disease or illness. And you know what? By then you've already fallen in love with the dog. Of course, that's always the problem. In most cases, people keep the dog and pay for the the sickness or the illness. Uh That's usually the case. It's limited to the amount of the purchase price, though, and California caps 150% of that amount. Okay. So California is a little different than the other states. Okay. And it should be easier to get some satisfaction under a pet lemon law than suing under contract law. Right, because that could be subject to interpretation of the judge. So that's really important. Still, these laws have some serious limits. Okay. You may not discover the problem with your new pet in time to meet the deadline for notifying the seller. Okay. Even if you find out in time, you may not want to return your pet. Like we you talked just about said. that. You fall in love with it. Yep. But if you want to keep your new pet and your state allows that option, vet bills can easily climb beyond the maximum reimbursement amount. And I think that's really important. So that's why once you buy your pet, take it to the vet immediately. Don't waste any time. That is correct. Okay. That so is correct. here are a few things to think about. And a lot of people make this mistake. And I have talked about this over and over until I'm blue in the face. Do not buy a pet online because you never know. You could have trouble suing the seller or getting any kind of compensation if the animal turns out to be unhealthy. And here's the reason. There are a lot of unscrupulous pet dealers out there, especially on the internet, especially those who want to sell toy dogs because a lot of people want toy dogs right now. But the problem really is the courts have a really difficult time deciding the proper jurisdiction should you engage in a lawsuit. So when the buyer and seller in two different states or two different countries, that's when you have a real problem. And that's understandable, don't you think? It, it really it is understandable, and it really is a, a problem. So, And it's so difficult with this whole discussion about puppies, but we're trying to help clean it up a little bit yeah, for we're, you. Yeah, we're just putting some seeds in your head. Some want to give you some food for thought, things that you can think about when actually getting a puppy. I think you're going to hear a lot of nice puppy segments on TV today and some other radio shows, but this is the hardcore nuts and bolts of the transaction pitfalls of buying a puppy. Okay. 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 Before buying a puppy, there are several steps that maybe you should take to protect your rights when you buy a dog or other companion animal. Okay. So what are they? Get a written sales agreement that includes a guarantee of the animal's health or discloses any health problems, Mm -hmm. a list of the vaccinations it's had, its history, training, pedigree, and any special training. 
that pedigree is relevant, especially if you're not really sure it doesn't. Because a lot of people don't know the standard of the breeds they buy. Okay. So take your new pet to the vet for a checkup within a week, Mm -hmm. even if it seems like it's healthy. Okay. Uh, If the animal becomes ill, take it to a vet immediately. Don't wait. If it dies, unfortunately, take the body to a vet to determine if the death came from some condition that the seller should have known about. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Yep. You have to do testing to find that out, and the testing can be expensive. It can be expensive. Okay. Either way, keep all of your records from the vet. Okay. Notify the seller as soon as the vet has diagnosed the problem. And, you know, reputable dealers or breeders will often offer a refund or exchange without any legal action on your part. Now, here's the thing. We're not really bashing breeders. We just want you to protect yourself should you decide to buy a puppy from a particular store, which we don't recommend, or breeder or breeding facility. So it's always important just to to know what your rights are. Okay. Well, well, but shelters have to be part of this discussion too. I I think they do have to be part of this discussion too. So, well, let's go on just because we're going to wrap this up in about 30 seconds. So if you have not received satisfaction from the dealer or the breeder who sold you the sick animal, okay, If you have not received satisfaction, they won't answer your phone calls. They won't return your money. You might want to speak to a lawyer and that can be expensive. But there are attorneys out there who specialize in animal law and consumer law and can explain the pets states lemon laws. So this way you have other legal options. For example, you might want to sue the seller for fraud or violation of the implied or express warranty. And Really, all in all, we hope that this segment has helped you if you're interested in buying a puppy. You know, we'll be back after a commercial break. Stay tuned. We definitely encourage you check out your state's lemon laws. You can go to the University of Michigan animal law area to find that out. And we're going to post that on our social media pages. Um, In our next segment, we're talking about Pet Poison Awareness Month, which is March. We're continuing that feature so you can understand all of the pet poisons in your home. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. (laughs) 
The Dynamic Pet Duo is back at you. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We're giving you some pet buzz to get you and your pets through the week. You know, this is continuing with our poison awareness feature for the month of March. While it is important to have a clean house or apartment, we also have to consider the safety of our dogs, cats, and other pets who lie on various surfaces in our home and lick almost everything. And joining us today is Dr. Edward Cooper, Professor of Small Animal Emergency and Critical Care. He is also the section head of the Department of Veterinary Clinical Science at The Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Cooper, good morning and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Good morning and thanks for having me. We're excited to have you because you are going to talk about the dangers of household cleansers and our pets. So, Dr. Cooper, why do we need to be careful with our cleaning chemicals or cleaning supplies and our pets? Certainly. Um, the, the biggest concern that we have um, is with contact to either the skin uh, or the face, particularly in the area of the eyes, and especially with ingestion. Uh, these chemicals can have serious adverse effects. So it's definitely dangerous. So we have to keep that in mind when we're buying household cleaners. Right, Dr. Fleck? Yes, that is correct. And let's talk about some of those household cleaner products. What are the most dangerous ones? The the biggest concerns tend to be the products that are either heavy acids or heavy bases. So that's going to be your your drain cleaners, your toilet bowl cleaners, uh, the things that are meant to kind of uh, take care of heavy-duty clogs and cleanups and stuff like that, as they tend to be um, sort of more corrosive in nature. Other things like uh, dishwashing liquids and laundry detergents can also be harmful, but a little less so. Uh, one exception to that is some of the electric dishwasher pods um, are in such a highly concentrated form uh, that those can be very dangerous as well. Interesting. You got to really because and also I would think they would attract pets because they're so shiny and bright, especially cats with those laundry detergent or dishwasher pods. Well, Dr. Cooper, how can we differentiate these products? I mean, obviously, some are more dangerous than others. Should we be looking at labels when we make these purchases? Absolutely. And and the product labels can be very useful in providing information with regard to the level of concern that people should have in using those different products. And a lot of them will have a, a warning based on it. And a lot of times those warnings will be geared toward people. But it's important to remember that if it's harmful to people, it's harmful to pets. And oh. anything that's listed on those labels as potential concerns really should just be transferred to our, our dogs and cats as well. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued. You were talking about corrosive and caustic cleaners. Can you define what those are and, and tell us about some of those products we need to be concerned about? Absolutely. So some of the more caustic products really are going to be heavy-duty drain cleaners uh, that are meant to kind of break down material, and those tend to be very acidic or basic in nature, meaning that they can cause pretty significant burns. When they come in contact with the skin, they can cause damage to the skin, which can lead to pain and irritation and potentially secondary infection. If there's contact to the eyes, there can be serious damage to the eyeballs, damage to the cornea or outer portion of the eye, and damage could be permanent. And then ingestion of corrosive materials is really the biggest concern, as that can cause significant damage to the lining of 
the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach, and that can lead to things like severe bleeding, picture or narrowing of those structures, or even perforation and severe infections. So what's the difference between corrosive and caustic? I, I, I'm a little, I'm still a little confused. So corrosive and caustic are similar in that they just sort of describe the nature of what those chemicals do to whatever surfaces they come in contact with. So caustic means sort of burning uh, in nature, whereas uh, corrosive is kind of more breaks down or causes direct oh, okay. damage. Okay, so that makes sense. So like the drain cleaner obviously is corrosive, right? Because it's breaking yeah. down whatever's in the drain. Okay, I got that. And caustic can be like a cleaning agent that's like just on the surface, right? Something like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of intrigued too. How often does this happen? Does this happen a lot? I would say it's not one of our more common toxic exposures, but it's certainly a fair concern uh, for, for pet owners to have as these chemicals are kept uh, pretty much in every household. So if there are pets in that household, that, that potential for danger is, is certainly there. Well, you know, if you're just joining us, we're talking with veterinarian Dr. Edward Cooper from the Ohio State University College of Vet Med. You know, Dr. Cooper, it's interesting that you mentioned that in response to Dr. Flex Clinic, because we all have these products, but we also keep them under the stink, which is also eye level. So anytime and it's one of the cabinets that you don't necessarily open every day. So I always find if I'm going under the sink to get something, I always find my cat is right there. He wants to see what's under there. It's a kind of a different musty kind of smell, you know, and so or the dog. I have small dogs, cats and young puppies. Yeah, they're kind of right in there looking around. So I'm not surprised, but I think it's always a good idea maybe for people to keep those particular cabinets locked. I mean, you're not necessarily using drain cleanser every day or, you know, whatever those products are, but those are, I think, are something that you need to be, you know, worried about or, you know, limited exposure. So a lock is good and you can go buy a lock for about 10 bucks at your local Walmart or big box store, right, Dr. Fletch? Sure. Okay. So here's the big question. So what should you do if your pet has been exposed to or ingested any of these substances? Absolutely. And there are, there are some things that can be done at home and given the nature of these materials, quick intervention is really important. And so if it's a topical or skin exposure, rinsing that area as quickly as possible um, and, and probably for at least 10 minutes of continuous kind of warm-ish water, not hot, not too cold, and just kind of trying to rinse the substance off. You can also use mild dish soap. Things like Dawn can be helpful in breaking down some of those materials and getting them off the skin. For the eye, you actually have like a saline solution that people use for contacts and things like that, rigorously trying to rinse the eye. And obviously the pet's not going to be very enthusiastic about that. So you have to be careful in trying to approach them and rinsing out the eye. And then for ingested toxins like this, while a lot of times with toxin ingestion, we think to to make the pet vomit, you know, get it back out. The problem with these more kind of caustic materials is they will also cause significant damage coming back out. And so uh, this is one of the few circumstances that we don't recommend making a pet vomit. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And also, I'm really glad that you mentioned the saline solution because I think that would be a great idea to add that to your pet first aid kit. Absolutely. Um, and I think the other thing, and, and just coming back to the ingested toxins um, that are caustic, since we can't make them vomit, 
if you can get them to uh, drink water or milk, that can help to kind of dilute the, the poison or neutralize it and hopefully make it less irritating to those surfaces. Okay, so we want to prevent further injury. So how how should we keep these products away from the pets? I know Charlotte mentioned using locks on the cabinet doors. What what else could we do? Uh, another consideration, though, uh, most people, you know, they always want to keep them under the sink because that's the most logical place. But if you have uh, particularly inquisitive pets um, that do like to get into areas, keeping them up on a on a higher shelf may actually be better to limit some of that potential for exposure. And especially in garages, people oftentimes will put sometimes the more dangerous things down on lower shelves. So trying to, to make sure that they're up in and out of the reach of pets is a really helpful thing to do. And if a spill does occur, making sure that that spill is cleaned up right away um, and also making sure that the pets are kind of restricted from the area uh, until it can be properly cleaned so that they don't uh, walk through it, have opportunity to uh, to lick in any of those liquids. Well, that all makes sense, Dr. Cooper. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you provide us with a website where we can learn more about the dangers of these household cleaners? Absolutely. The, um, the ASPCA actually has a, a poison control website with lots of valuable information at ASPCA.org slash pet care. Um, and that's a very useful site. And then there's also a pet poison helpline that can give a lot of information. I and mean, that's at petpoisonhelpline.com. Well, thank you so much. Well, that was Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine's veterinarian, Dr. Edward Cooper, discussing the household cleansers, the dangers of household cleansers to pets. What a great segment. And also part of our March is Pet Poison Awareness Month. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a flash wrapping up the show. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. We're back and you're listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. That's the bell signifying it's time to wrap the show. But before we go, we got to give you a preview of what's coming up. What's next week? Next week, we're talking about pets in space, garden pet dangers, and how an owner's personality can influence his or her cat. And Dr. Fleck, can you thank our guest? Special thanks to our guest, Ron McGill, Susan Hartzler, and veterinarian, Dr. Edward Cooper. And we always have to thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have questions or comments for us, write us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover your questions and comment on our next show. And just so you know, you can follow along on our social media channels as the show airs. We post our thoughts, notes, and pics so you can have a thoroughly enjoyable experience as you listen to the show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels and listen to the podcast on Monday morning. 
Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.